Good evening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of the show. Welcome, Outcast. How's it going, weirdo? I like being a weirdo. I don't know about you. I miss living in Austin where that is the theme. Keep it weird. I'm just a weirdo living in God's waiting room. Another boiling day here. The 60-pound cat, otherwise known as Stormy, who is directly behind me, came up to me mid-morning and just barked in my ear. Translation, hey, old man, take me for a walk. I can't take you for a walk because I'm working as a freight coordinator slash broker trying to make money to buy you more cat food, you 60-pound cat. Finally, at 5 o'clock this afternoon, I take her. It's still boiling outside because this time of the year, uh, Florida's about 30 miles from the sun. About halfway through the walk, she wants to give up, and I just looked at her. I said, I told you. I told you. And she said, you know I don't understand English. And so we finished up the walk, went home, fed her, gave her a biscuit, and she's kind of passed out behind me. She's funny. A lot of enjoyment, though, I have to admit. I got a weird dog, got a weird life. I'm a weirdo. Nancy Pelosi draws up articles of impeachment against the Pope. From Washington, D.C., the Babylonian Bee, after being denied communion in her home city of San Francisco, House Speaker Pelosi has retaliated against the insult by introducing articles of impeachment against Pope Francis. Quote, Denying me the Eucharist is a high crime. It's not even the Pope's job to deny communion to anyone, said Pelosi to gathered reporters in Washington. Who does he think he is? He's gone mad with power. It is therefore my solemn constitutional duty to draft articles of impeachment to be sent to the Senate so Pope Francis can be tried for his crimes. In the ensuing investigation, Congress found the Pope may have engaged in a quid pro quo offering access to the Eucharist in exchange for not being a corrupt politician who advocates for the legal slaughter of millions of innocent babies. Political pundits already calling on the Pope to step down if the charge is true. Said Pelosi, I do this with a very heavy heart, but it's the right thing to do. While fidgeting with her dentures. Good morning, Sunday morning. When pressed, asked to whether Congress actually has the authority to impeach a Pope, Pelosi responded, quote, We have to impeach him first, in order to find out whether we can do it. That's a nice. I'm a glad that a cardinal, he no give it a communion. Don't give it a Eucharist to the Nancy Pelosi. You no get it in the body of the Christ, because you like it to kill the babies. You no kill the babies yourself, but you say it's okay if you want to murder the baby, so you no get it in the body of Christ. No Christ for you. No body of Christ for you. I keep it all to myself. You no get. Now go away. You scary plastic woman. That the face it make me scared. I see the devil in the face. Actually, I just see a Botox. Lots and lots of Botox. Tucker Carlson. Do you ever wonder why? Hi, I'm Tucker Rooney. Tucker Carlson's Twitter bio looks like it's been hacked because it says. 
fully vaccinated and his pronouns are they and theirs. Either Tucker Carlson has a lot more liberal than we thought, or someone's having a little fun with his Twitter account. The bio attached in the verified Twitter feed belonging to the far-right Fox News pundit on Tuesday read that Tucker Carlson is an Emmy Award-winning broadcast journalist, graduate of Harvard College and Yale Law School, and frequent visitor to the Aspen Institution. Oh, Institute. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, they did hack it. Uh, Perhaps the most noteworthy part of the tinkering of Tucker Carlson's Twitter feed is that his bio states he's fully vaccinated and his pronouns are they and theirs. Uh, The 53-year-old news primetime host has repeatedly declared it's no one's business whether he's been vaccinated against COVID, though he did reportedly tell an evangelical church in California last month that he has not been. It is also unlikely Tucker Carlson, who recently shot a program promoting testicle tanning, would identify by the pronoun they. Uh, His new Twitter bio also included a Ukrainian flag denoting support for Ukraine in its battle against Russia. (laughs) That's a nuts. Do you ever wonder why? I know I do all the time. I wonder why NASA keeps putting up fictitious stories and people keep buying them. Do you ever wonder, how is it possible that NASA went to the moon and back six times between 1969 and 1972, 238,000 miles each way, but hasn't gone back in 50 years? And now they're saying they plan for the most exciting and ambitious Mars mission. Yeah, NASA is planning to send astronauts on a 30-day mission to Mars. Maybe they should go back to the moon first. Although they never went to the moon first. It's not 238,000 miles away. It might be about 3,500 max. Anyway, the space agency shared some of its plans for the mission earlier in the week. It's all just a concept at the moment, but NASA's looking to get feedback on the idea. You know, go to Mars. I don't know how they're going to keep kicking the can down the road with this Artemis ship that's supposed to go to the moon. At some point... Either they're going to have to spend a lot of money on CGI or pull Stanley Kubrick out of the grave because it's not going to work. And one other story of interest. I really didn't find too much of interest today. A woman who wrote a book called How to Murder Your Husband uh, Murdered Her Husband. (laughs) Oh... I really don't want to talk about what's going on in the world because I'm a weirdo. Uh, We'll leave that for Alex Jones. I've got some great conspiracy theories. Yeah, sure you do. I'd rather talk about the book of the Secrets of Enoch. I was alluding to it last night, and it was a reference for when I was writing my book, Morningstar's Tale. Um, Oh, I like that. Oh, Al Pacino. I got a copy of it right here. Oh no, this ain't this ain't the book. This ain't even a book. It's a can of oil. What have I got a can of oil for? Well, I gotta change my oil. My car's low. In the book, we'll finish the promo. Oh yeah, morningstarstale.com. 
Morningstarstale.com. I like that. About Lucifer. I used to play Lucifer in The Devil's Advocate. Go buy the book. Don't buy the book. I don't care. In the book of The Secrets of Enoch, which I used, as I, as I mentioned, as a reference for the book, uh, chapter 31, I've never really read much of this to you. You wonder where I got all this wacky information for Morningstar's Tale. Chapter 31, the book of the secrets of Enoch. In this particular chapter, we see what Adam was actually made of. And I contend and have, and it's in the book, that Adam and Eve had a triple helix DNA before their fall. This allowed them to access all ten heavens or dimensions or multiverses or frequencies call it what you will but they had unlimited access to everything then after the fall they were downgraded to a double helix two-thirds six 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 the number of man from chapter 31 the book of the secrets of enoch god gives over to paradise to adam and gives him a command to see the heavens opened that he should see angels singing the song of victory Here's what Enoch writes. Adam has life on earth, and I created a garden in the east, and, she, and he should observe the testament and keep the command. And these are the words of God spoken to Enoch. I made the heavens open to him, that he should see angels singing the song of victory and the gloomless light. And he was continuously in paradise, and the devil understood that I wanted to create another world because Adam was Lord of Earth to rule and control it. The devil is the evil spirit of the lower places. As a fugitive, he made Sotana from the heavens as his name was Satanael. Thus he became different from the angels, but his nature did not change. His intelligence, as far as his understanding of righteousness and sinful things, he understood his condemnation and the sin for which he sinned before. Therefore, he conceived a thought against Adam. In such form, he entered and seduced Eve, but did not touch Adam. But I cursed ignorance, but what I blessed previously, I did not curse. I cursed not man, nor the earth, nor the other creatures, but man's evil fruit and his works." Adam died, I believe, at the age of 930, 930 years. It says in the book of Genesis, because you've eaten of that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die before this day is through. A day in the eyes of the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So when he died at 930, 930 years, he actually died before the day was finished. Because in the eyes of God, a day is a thousand years. And in the book of the Secrets of Enoch, it talks about Adam being in the Garden of Eden for just over five hours. So again, you have to use a thousand years 
is 24 hours. So five hours would be about 230 years. So according to the book of the secrets of Enoch, Adam and Eve were actually in the Garden of Eden for about 230 years. In the early church days, the book of Enoch, which is Enoch 1, what I'm reading from, is considered Enoch 2, the book of the secrets of Enoch. They threw it out of the Bible because it was so controversial. And you can see why. None of this was ever taught to me. Ever. Here's an amazing part. Okay. So Enoch gets translated, that is to not die, but to move into the other dimension with God. And God commanded Enoch to live on earth for 30 days after he gave his instructions to Enoch. And after 30 days, he was taken back to heaven. And here's what it says in chapter 36. Now Enoch, or rather God says this, Now Enoch, I give thee the term of 30 days to spend in thy house, and tell thy sons and all thy household that all may hear from my face what I told you, that they may read and understand how there is no other God but me, and that they may always keep my commandments and begin to read and take the books of thy handwriting. After thirty days I shall send an angel for thee and take thee from earth and from thy sons to me. During a 30-year period, I mentioned this last night, according to the book of the Secrets of Enoch, Enoch wrote 366 books in 30 days. Isn't that wild? And none of this, none of this was taught in church. I guess I shouldn't be reading the book while I'm doing the show. I'm reading silently to myself. Oh, yeah, I'm doing a radio show, allegedly. Okay. Here's another part of the book that really blew me away. I had mentioned last night that there's ten heavens, and in the tenth heaven, the archangel Michael led Enoch before the Lord's face. So Enoch is standing before God. And I had mentioned uh, where God said to Michael, go and take Enoch from his earthly garments and anoint him with my sweet ointment and put him in the garments of my glory. And Michael did thus, and the Lord told him, he anointed me and dressed me, and the appearance of that ointment is more than the great light. And his ointment is like a sweet dew. It's a smell. It smells mild shining like the sun's ray. I looked at myself, and I was like one of his glorious ones. And the Lord summoned one of his archangels named Pravuval, whose knowledge was quicker in wisdom than the other archangels who wrote all the deeds of the Lord. And the Lord said to Pravuval, bring out the books from my storehouse and a read of quick writing and give it to Enoch and deliver it to him, the comforting books out of thy hand. 
Imagine this. God dictating to you how everything works and showing it to you simultaneously. Here's what Enoch says. And he was telling me all the works of heaven, earth, and sea, the thunderings of the thunders, the sun and the moon, the goings and the changing of the stars, the seasons, the years, the days, the hours, the rising of the wind, the number of angels in the formation of their songs, and all human things, the tongue of every human song in life, the commandments, instructions, and sweet voice singings, and all things that is fitting to learn. And Perubal, the archangel, told him, All things that I have told thee we have written. Sit and write all the souls of mankind, however many are born, and place them for eternity, for all souls are prepared for eternity. In all double thirty days and thirty nights, I wrote out all things exactly and wrote 366 books. When I get to the other side, I have two requests of the Lord. One, I want to see it. I really want to see it and have it explained to me in full. I want to see the foundation stone, the four corners, the firmament dome. I want to see what is beyond the dome, allegedly, this land they talk about. Or does the dome extend over that land? And then I would like to find those 366 books and just read them. After all, I'll have eternity. I just have this insatiable thirst for the knowledge of what God has built and the simple fact that for 58 years of my life I was lied to and blinded by the illusion that we live on a ball spinning at a thousand miles an hour going through space at 66,000 miles per hour for the last six or seven years I've come to believe it's nothing like what we've been told. Everything is a lie, as it was in the days of Noah. And everything ties in. The vaccine, the triple helix DNA. We are going back to the days of Noah. And everything will be the same, except for the technology. The perfect storm. truly want to stay out of the system? Are you prepared to buy into the biggest scam since the Iraqi dinar? If not, then put your money where it belongs in your possession, not in the hands of an international MLM cartel. At Kettle Moraine Limited, we will provide you with the finest Swiss-minted detachable gram sheets of pure 24-karat gold for hundreds of dollars less than the so-called privately issued credit cards with elusive gold backing. Gold backing the only gold that I want is in my back pocket. 
not backed by promises of an operation even the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is suspect of, giving a rating of C-. To get the full story, visit SierraMadrePreciousMetals.com and go to the Valcombi Bullion Vault. Once you have read the whole story about the scam being perpetrated on an unsuspecting public and how you can avoid being a victim by purchasing these beautiful, barterable, tradable sheets of gold at tremendous savings and in the strictest of privacy, be prepared to take the steps to protect your wealth with the purchase of the real deal. Detachable 50-gram gold bars from Kettle Moraine Limited by calling 602-799-8214. Ask about our one-ounce Valcombi detachable bars, which break into one-tenth ounce bars. And don't forget, for all of your precious metal needs, whether buying or having the need to sell, call Kettle Moraine Limited. Remember, no dinar, no celery, and no carrots. If you buy from someone else... Tell them you want AU, not BS. Call Kettle Moraine LTD today at 602-799-8214. Kettle Moraine LTD, 602-799-8214. Hey gang, Patrick Slattery here with an important message that is pertinent to anyone who shops for groceries, eats food, or just has an inquisitive mind like myself. What I'm about to introduce you to is a segment of our food culture that has been kept so low profile to the American public that virtually no one is aware of how dominant it is on our refrigerator and cupboard shelves. What I'm talking about is the kosher certification industry and the new app, Koshertify, that delivers a comprehensive education on all aspects regarding this little-known practice. After reviewing this app, I found that it is useful for practically anyone who purchases food regardless of their religious faith or identity. Its database of products not kosher certified is a win-win convenience for all food-conscious people. So why not check out thekosherquestion.com or click on the link at nationalbugle.com and see how modifying your grocery shopping with the Certified app can make a huge difference for your future. talking about you that's right dear listener we were talking about you and what we need to do to straighten you out so let's begin with uh, a female listener who wrote in to me she doesn't appreciate the swearing on the show what she's referring to is the dollar vigilante with Jeff Berwick and I understand what she's saying and her concern I do However, I can't control what he's saying. I could control not putting it on. However, he's one of the few people that really gets it 
and has a sense of humor. So to that listener, if you are listening, young lady, write to Jeff Berwick at the Dollar Vigilante and tell him to stop swearing. Secondly, during my little dissertation about how the earth is flat, I got an email from a listener who routinely writes in, it always amazes me when someone listens to the show and doesn't believe in anything that I believe in. It would be as if someone who got three injections and a couple boosters is listening to the show just to get angry. Anyway, uh, here's the email from this young man. Quote, I was telling my fellow physicists in the physics lab about your program and you trying to talk about astronomy and physics. I recorded a few of your programs and let them listen to them and they busted a gut laughing. While I find your program amusing, I never busted a gut, but I'm glad it made them smile. Maybe I should send some of your programs to NASA. I'm sure they would get a kick out of it. Keep up your great comedy routine. I still need more cowbell. Yeah, please do send some of the programs to NASA. Maybe what they could do is add a visual to the audio. You know, this is radio, you can't see me. But it would be kind of cool if NASA could merge my voice with their CGI graphics. And, you know, like the fake landing on the moon, uh, the fake video of Rover over on Greenland. You know, all the fake stuff they do every day. Uh, the have problem is we voice. don't have the technology to do that anymore. And you don't have the technology to do that. Have you ever talked to your uh, fellow physicists about the fact that NASA doesn't have the technology to go back to the moon because they destroyed that technology and it's a, it's a painful process to build it back? And they destroyed all the telemetry. And every rocket that is launched curves. I will keep up my great comedy routine. I'm glad I can make you laugh. Bring a little joy into your life. I've really distanced myself from a lot. I haven't written an article in probably three months. I no longer send anything into before it's news, nor do I update the website. If you go to morningstarstale.com, all you're going to find is the first chapter of the book in a preview. Uh, the preface, and an invitation to purchase the book at Amazon.com. There's a link, MorningstarsTale.com. And I really don't care that much about the book anymore. It's cool, but it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. We're all going to die. You'll find out after you die. One of us is right, one of us is wrong. Ray Liotta, remember from Goodfellas? He died today, 67. I'm 65. Who's to say? Look at John Statmiller, owner of the network. I think he was about 67, 68. He's gone. He passed back in October. I just am not going to pursue it with the same passion, any of it, because it doesn't matter. While people like Alex Jones are digging up the latest conspiracy theory about what happened in West Texas. 
I just think about the kids and how horrible it must be for those parents. I just have removed myself emotionally from almost all alternative media. And I'm not finding as many stories that I even want to talk about anymore. There's very little that interests me. The flat earth will always be a topic that I am passionate about because I believe it's true, but I no longer want to try and convince you that it's true. And that's the difference between myself a year ago and today. Believe whatever you want. The perfect Remember when I told you about the false flag operation? Remember when I told you about 5G radiation? Remember that I told you that COVID was a hoax? Well, I just want to say that I told you so. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. You know that nothing beats a storable food stockpile for readiness. But there are two problems with storable food. It's expensive, and eventually, it runs out. Then what? What happens to you or your family when there's not enough food to go around? In a true survival scenario, you need a renewable food source. That's why Seed Armory has developed a survival-grade seed vault that can produce over $25,000 worth of crops from just one kit. Unlike other seed vaults, we don't inflate our seed counts with fillers. All our seeds are 100% heirloom and non-GMO. Not a green thumb? Don't worry. We've written an easy-to-follow guide to guarantee your success from planting to harvest. For a limited time, we're offering an additional 10% off your order when you enter the code RBN at checkout. Go to SeedArmory.com. That's SeedArmory.com. Don't wait. Like everything else, Seeds are in short supply. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Are you sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for Truth, Liberty, and Balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the Internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no hidden agendas, no corporate funding, and we do not sell, trade, or give away any of your information. 
Our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits. So please, check out our site. It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at TLBtalk.com and join the social media revolution. Last night about three o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep and I I rolled over and ooh, ooh, ooh. five o'clock I finally got to sleep and I woke up at five thirty. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Man, that monkey pox is really weighing heavy on me. Whew. Recently, uh a podcast called Man in America, a gentleman by the name of Seth, had the opportunity to interview Dr. David Martin. And the discussion began with the World Health Organization and the shocking revelation that if you go back to 1952, that's actually when all of this was kicking off. So if you think you're losing your sovereignty now, it's been in the works for a long time. Let's give it a listen. Here is Dr. David Martin. Well, Seth, a lot of Americans need to take a step back in time, going back to 1952. Um, and, and you know how I am when I do interviews. I always love to make sure we're reminding ourselves of our own historical context. But in 1952, Harry Truman signed Executive Order 10399. And that executive order was actually a very interesting executive order that gave rise to essentially the superhighway of terror that the globalists are currently using. What it did was it instructed the Surgeon General of the United States to essentially become subservient to the World Health Organization. And most of us have been hearing all kinds of saber rattling about, oh my gosh, we're about to lose sovereignty to the World Health Organization. And and. In the means, you know, there's probably an air of truth to the the cause for concern. But I just want to break some really bad news at the top of the show. We we let that horse out of the stable in 1952. Um, anybody who who wants to go and read the egregious evidence of what I just said only has to go to 42 U.S. Code Section 202, where ironically. Harry Truman's executive order is actually enshrined into our Federal Public Health Act, and it's enshrined by reference. It, it, it basically says, hey, and whatever Harry Truman said. So this was an unelected 
non-congressionally reviewed executive order from 1952 that gave away our sovereignty to essentially saying that anything that the World Health Organization decided to do either explicitly, and this is the part that's really chilling, Seth, what what he said then and what the World Health Organization is saying now, is this for any actual or planned exercise of the World Health Organization? So, so ironically, we don't actually have to have a thing to have a thing. And, and it's fascinating as we read what the amendments for the IHR 2005 were, which is what people legitimately are concerned about, um, the, the U.S. government making it much easier for, for a planned outbreak to be something we have to shut the world down for. Um, one of the tragedies is that the 1952 executive order gives explicit permission for the World Health Organization to build out these terror scenarios. And what makes this a problem is that if what you're trying to do is promulgate fear and you're trying to use the air of public health emergency as a way to manipulate and coerce a population into taking actions that they would not otherwise take, then the problem that we have is a set of rules and conditions that fundamentally abridge the United States Constitution and our sovereignty And for the last now 70 years, not the last seven days, the last 70 years have given the World Health Organization an unelected body, a body now largely controlled by the Gates Foundation, the ability to roll out whatever agenda they have and do so with impunity. So I'm glad you went straight next. I was going to ask you about the, uh, the World Health Assembly right now. They're voting and the amendments. And it's interesting because I find that what, what seems to be happening over and over again is that you're, you, you see something that's happening and you say, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And when this start, and you realize all oh, that Obama did this or all oh, that was Clinton that did that. And you realize that our presidents have been selling out the American people for not just years, but decades, uh, if not longer. So are you telling me this then that it was back in the 50s that they started laying the groundwork for using the World Health Organization and the health scare and pandemics as the Trojan horse to basically roll out their you know, and lead into their one world system. Yeah. And, and Seth, I, I point out that it, many people mistakenly refer to their kind of high school vague recollections of U.S. history and they They kind of remember that there was a thing called the Great Depression, and they kind of remember there was a thing called the Cold War. But it's important for us to examine the fact that the eugenics office that was started at Cold Spring Harbor Lab was a program that Andrew Carnegie got started at the beginning of the last century, back in the early 1900s. And the eugenics office was part of a very longstanding campaign to figure out how to treat population, and by the way, I'm using a quote from a 1930s newspaper article, with the same discipline that cattlemen use to apply to cattle. And that's literally off of the front page of a newspaper in the 1930s. What what was the problem was we had a worldview that said that there are people who are desirable, there are people who we want to see procreate and, and have dominion over the earth, and there are a lot of people who are undesirable. 
And from the formation of the Cold Spring Harbor Labs in the early 1900s until now, what we've done is we've seen this steady progression of the increasing chemicalization of the idea of what health is and the weaponization of pathogens as a way to fear and intimidate populations into taking steps that they would not otherwise take. Now, Seth, most people don't remember that in the 1930s, we had, are you ready for this, a financial crisis, a climate change crisis, and a public health scare. And, and that came in the form of what we called the Dust Bowl, which for those of you who look at any history realize was not a dust bowl. What it was was a couple years of drought, which is true. But what it really was was the foreclosure of small family farms in favor of industrial agriculture. Does that sound familiar? Um, we had a financial crisis. But like the financial crisis that we're allegedly living in now, it was entirely concocted to reallocate the wealth of what was then the nascent Federal Reserve. And then Ironically, and this is the part that we actually entirely overlook, we manufactured a public health crisis in the form of the syphilis outbreak. And the reason why we had the syphilis outbreak of the 1930s and the reason why we had the Tuskegee experiment and all kinds of other things was to manufacture the industrial acceptance of penicillin. That's that's why we did it. You know, we didn't have syphilis as a population. Now, there were people with syphilis, to be sure. But, but the population's acceptance of penicillin had not, in fact, happened. And then all of a sudden, we have this manufactured outbreak. Now, not surprisingly, and this leads us right into where we are right now, when Jonas Salk developed the polio vaccine, he was criticized for not filing a patent on it, not making it a commercial success. And so in the 1950s and 1960s, under the rubric of patenting the sun, there was a discussion about the fact that silly Jonas Salk had left all kinds of money on the table. And what we needed to do was we needed to actually have pathogens and their treatments and or vaccines as a means of building a chemical dependency in the American population and the global population so that we could have this match of a pathogen outbreak and then a vaccine or a treatment response. Having perfected that in the 1950s, the World Health Organization became the drug-dealing front-door broker for the Wellcome Trust. Not surprisingly, you made reference to a publication, and we need to slow down because sometimes we use acronyms and we don't go, well, hold on a minute. Why did that organization publish that document? Let's go back and unpack what NTI is, Seth. We're going to pull that up for you here. NTI is the Nuclear Threat Initiative. Nuclear Threat. Interesting. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, so it's the Nuclear Threat Initiation, or it's an initiative, right? But yet yeah. they're talking about monkey, yeah, monkeypox so, outbreak. So, yeah, so... so, so and, and people sit there going, my gosh, Dave, how do you weave together the tapestry? If you go down to the front page of that paper and go down to the signature page, which I think is, is uh, if, you have the, if you have the text up there, what you see is it is the nuclear threat initiative that is the one that signed the opening page. So, yeah, keep going. And it's one more page down. You get the forward. And at the signature of the f signature page right there. 
Read what's under the signature. Wow. So it's, it's Margaret Hamburg, who's the interim vice president of the Global Biological Policy and Programs of the Nuclear Threat Initiative. Like, you can't make this stuff up. No. And see, this is why what I try to encourage people to do is say, well, hold on a minute. 1952, Harry Truman. What's going on in this? Well, what was going on was we were looking for ways in which we could actually terrorize the public. And back then, and Seth, you'll remember this, when you were in elementary school, you remember the, the, the vestiges of Cold War kinds of, of scare campaigns. I remember when I was a kid in elementary school in the 1970s, I, I remember I was supposed to crawl under a desk in my elementary school classroom. And I was supposed to crawl under a desk to plan for a civil defense uh, response to a nuclear blast. Now, I don't know. If, I don't know what kind of really cool desks you grew up with, <laughs> Seth. But my elementary school desk, as I recall, was four metal legs, um, a a wooden top that flipped up so I could put my little knickknacks inside of my desk. Um, I'm pretty damn sure that if there was a nuclear blast um the only thing my desk would have been was the thin metal veneer melted across my melted corpse <laughs> i don't think that it would have done me much good but if we go back and realize the nuclear threat initiative has been around as a terror campaign generator a terror propaganda generator since the early 60s and 70s and not surprisingly when you want to terrorize a population, what do you do? Turn to the experts. And so I, I love to point out a lot of people have been really upset about this monkeypox, you know, scheduled release on March of or sorry, May of, of 2022 coming yeah, from I'll a March 21st actually. publication. And people is... sit there and go, oh, my gosh, how on earth could they have ever been so prescient to find out that? that they were going to have a monkeypox release three days away from the stated date for the alleged outbreak to occur. And this document that you have on the screen published, Seth, in 2021, in March of 2021, so 15 months earlier, this group was able to pick the day of monkeypox outbreak plus or minus three days. Listen. This is a willful continuation of a campaign of domestic terror, and it is done to make sure the public remains in fear and in cognitive dissonance and in the disbelief of what Plato described in the Republic. You know, Plato in the Republic made reference to the fact that sometimes crimes are so audacious that the mere statement of their audacity paralyzes the population. In Plato's world, he called those temple robbers or grave robbers. These were people who desecrated that which was sacred. And Plato said sometimes the level of desecration was so immense that people just stood back in incredulity going, I can't believe somebody would desecrate the temple or they can't believe they would rob from the temple. Well, in Plato's day, the worst thing to do was to desecrate that which was sacred. In our day, the worst thing to do is desecrate that which is sacred, which is human life. And we can have somebody with impunity 
tell us in October of 2019 that we're going to have a global exercise in the release of a respiratory pathogen, which as of today allegedly has killed over 7 million people around the world. We can have people with impunity, the same people, right in the document you put on the screen, that they expect to see deaths as many as 200 million people in 2023 and 2024. Gosh, yeah, they're up to, they're showing here on the December 1st, 2023, the scenario is 3.2 billion cases. So half the world's population has yep. it with 271 million deaths is what they're saying here. Yeah, and 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 think about think about what level of inhumanity is required to have not even a batted eye, not even a, a ripple of conscience to put into writing that you are going to terrorize a population with a specter of 271 million deaths, over half the world infected, with, if you read their scenario carefully, with a monkeypox that was engineered to be vaccine-resistant. Absolutely incredible. And I remember watching one of your videos where you highlighted that specific fact where it said it was engineered to be vaccine resistant. And so Yeah, well and, and this is where this is where we have the World Health Organization with blood on their hands. Because the fact is that if you go back and look from the nineteen eighties forward, and you know me, I, I have a bad habit of reading patents, including the over 20 patents held by NIAID on monkeypox-related vaccines. So not surprisingly, we're once again in the realm of monkeypox-related vaccines. And not surprisingly, are you ready for this? Moderna. Who knew? The company that had never, ever, ever made anything ever until they started injecting people with the lethal spike protein, that Moderna is the one who conveniently is ready to roll out a monkeypox vaccine. <laughs> And you sit back and go, ah, you know, this, 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 is, this is willful. This is criminal. You know, Seth, I grieve. I grieve for the families of the children who died yesterday in Texas. I, I, my heart breaks. As a father, my heart breaks when I see the extinguishing of any life, but particularly young, innocent lives of children. That breaks my heart. But I find morally outrageous the fact that the same administration who gets on a grandstand yesterday and uses the death of these children to rail against, you know, guns and violence and everything else has no problem the exact same week authorizing the injection of a known lethal scheduled toxin into the arms of children six months of age to five years of age. The same administration is going to kill far more than 18 children in a classroom in Texas. And because they're administered through a syringe and because they're administered by people wearing lab coats, we're somehow supposed to accept that as an acceptable loss of life. Well, we are supposed to rail against gun violence. Now, let me be clear. I do not advocate for the death and destruction of any human life at any point in life. And yes, I made that very clear. I am absolutely a huge fan of life. I think that if the creator was creative enough to figure out how to make us 
I think we should honor that creation. That's my view. But here's the bottom line, people. You cannot, out of one side of your mouth, say that you are somehow advocating for choice and you're advocating for the lethality of injectable doses into children and then allegedly get yourself all whipped into a frenzy over what happens when somebody unloads clips of automatic weapons in a classroom. The fact of the matter is, if we are going to stand for human life and human values, we have to be as outraged at the FDA as we are at the shooter. And we're not. Well, it's, it's that social conditioning that you were touching right. upon. And just the acceptance of if this person is, a, is in a lab coat. I mean, you know, we were warned for millennia about false idols. Yet yes. now we're, we live in a society in a day and age where someone like Fauci can get up on, in front of the camera wearing a lab coat and he can tell us exactly what health decisions to make. doesn't matter what conflict of interest, interest there is. Or you even got someone like Bill Gates, who should, that's a whole other topic out there pushing the same exact thing. So where do, where do you think this is headed? Because as you know, we saw COVID unfold, and as you have been on the forefront of exposing that, the whole agenda with the, the pandemic and everything, it seemed like it had pittered out and died off. And now all of a sudden it's monkeypox. So do you think that COVID was just laying the groundwork both in terms of the changes to the laws and the regulations around the world, but in, in addition to psychologically priming people to become just respondent to fear and just to line up yeah. for whatever the next shot, you know, shot is? I mean, where do you see the, them using this? Uh, where do you see this taking us over the next year or so? Well, I've said for many years, uh, I said this back when Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking had their debate about artificial intelligence taking over the world um, probably over a decade ago. One of my concerns is that there is a worldview that brings back a memory for me of 2003. In 2003, I had an unusual experience which was sitting in a conference. This was pre the TED Talk rage. This was back when the cool place to go was Camden, Maine for a thing called Pop Tech. And I listened to a guy named Aubrey de Grey. Aubrey de Grey is an expert in the aging research of the human body and specifically focused on anti-aging to the point of immortality. And I listened to him one day in a conference in Camden, Maine, suggest how wonderful the world would be with a world in which there were no children. That was in 2003. And, and he talked about how lovely it would be to be able to sit at a restaurant or on an airplane and never have to hear the sound of children again. And, and, I, and I watched a room full of people sit in kind of rapt silence, as this guy described the perfect world, which would be a world without children. And then you go back and read the research that he publishes, and you read the research that he promotes. And he, together with Elon Musk, together with Stephen Hawking, all have this very macabre view of a history of humanity that will now include the cessation of the procreation of humanity in favor of this technological AI interface, which leads to some sort of cyborg immortality. Now, here's the problem. 
The problem is, once again, going back to the 1970s and 80s, we decided as a society to accept a world in which the definition of life was a electrochemical interface, that we were actually this kind of meat puppet machine. And gradually we could move into an ex machina world where we would have this kind of cyborg interface where what it meant to be human was really nothing more than the repository of memories, the, the you know, kind of your favorites page on Facebook. And that's what humanity was reduced to. Because the idea of creativity, the idea of fellowship, the idea of interpersonal connectivity was actually not attractive. And it was being promoted, Seth, by people who themselves did not have social acuity. Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk are not the model of extroverts. They're not the model of people who are promoting a sense of the, the best of social humanity. And they're the ones warning us of the specter of a world without children, a world without procreation, etc. So it's important for us to realize that where this is going is a worldview that says that you are the sum of the memories you've accumulated. You are not, to use Yuval Harari's um, very famous quote, you don't have a soul, you don't have any sense of of identity, you don't have any notion of free will, you are merely this this meat puppet that is longing to be plugged into the cloud where we all have this kind of cyborg reality. And And here's the thing, Seth, we can sit here today and we can say, well, that sounds like a dreadful future. But my, my challenge to every person listening to this show is that Unless we, the sentient, unless we, the ensouled, and unless we, the vibrant analog humans, offer a more perfect picture, then what will happen is the incumbency will overwhelm humanity. Have a new tool that will increase production and lower maintenance costs for your meat processing company. And it would pay for itself in just six weeks. When pigs fly! The new Ease-Off Model EZ4 replaces old spring-style carcass droppers and is faster, safer, and more reliable. The Ease-Off lowers or lifts 1,000 pounds to or from your rail automatically using our remote control. Sounds expensive. Can I afford it? Can you afford not to try the Ease-Off? It installs fast with just three bolts in place of your current dropper. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue and injuries, speed up your line, eliminate downtime, and increase profit. How can I order my Ease-Off? Go to EaseOff.com, E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com, and hurry, because we are offering $200 off on the new Easy 4 for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC. Summersville, Missouri. 417-932-6419. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. truth, truth.